0: Your word is a mighty, powerful thing. Your self-disclosure is an awesome thing. And it's because you are glorious and there is none like you, O God. Holy Spirit, bring illumination to the eyes of our hearts and souls and minds. Strengthen our faith. Sustain our faith. Build us up, Lord, that our hearts might be fully satisfied in all that you have revealed yourself to be for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Friend and mentor recommended that I read Meg Meeker's book, Hero, The Strong Father Your Children Need. In it, Meeker recounts this personal experience. I ignored the storm warning and the counsel of my parents. This was a mistake. My flight was canceled due to the storm. And having waited many hours to be rebooked, I had to face the reality that no flights We're going to leave that night. My mentor knows me well. This this story cuts very close to home. I called my parents and my father answered and said, I've already booked a room for you by the airport. I would not have to sleep on the airport floor that night. I could always rely on my dad, even when I did not want to, when I had burdens and pressures. He always took them on himself, even when I stubbornly resisted his care. He went ahead of me to provide for me. That's what dads do, even when we are stubborn and say we don't want it. That, loved ones, I believe, captures the main point of our text today, namely, that even when God's children so stubbornly resist him, resist his care, the Lord himself goes ahead of them to provide for them, all because he loves them. I'm going to recap the situation in the book of Exodus so far the end of chapter four, Moses and Aaron had gathered the people of Israel, spoken all the words of promise that God had given them to speak, and they were were received favorably. The people believed, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped, and and it's fair to assume that this this warm reception engendered great confidence in Moses and Aaron that, that God actually was really on the move. He was doing stuff. And and with this emboldened confidence, they proceeded to to go and confront Pharaoh himself with the message from God to let the people go. They trusted God's word, and they obeyed. And then everything went pear-shaped. Not only did Pharaoh respond in the negative. He just jacked up the pressure on God's people even more. Oh, so your God wants you set free. Well, here's what I think of your God. Same number of bricks, no more straw. And in Exodus chapter 5 verse 21, the Israelites turn on Moses and Aaron saying, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So it appears to Moses that his steps of obedience, inspired by his faith in God, has only made things worse for the people of God. He expected his obedient faith to result In the deliverance of the people, not the worsening of their already sorrowful, pitiful situation. But it's also apparent that Moses had not paid careful attention to what the Lord had said, as recorded in Exodus Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. God said, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. And this is the key phrase. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Which part of that would have been so hard to understand? You know, Moses, (laughs) what are you expecting? Like spit spot, easy peasy. But Moses was surprised, and he was disappointed and shaken and not a little ticked off. We hear it plainly in his prayer in chapter 5, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. There's a categorical statement. (laughs) Moses, I believe, is to be commended, at least for... Turning toward the Lord rather than away from the Lord. C.J. Mahaney writes The wise and humble move every time we're discouraged, disillusioned, or despairing is to turn to the Lord in prayer, not away from the Lord in sulking and complaining. <laughs> you know, Moses really he does need to be commended for his humility since he's actually the one who wrote this absolutely unvarnished account of his own fight for faith. Moses' humanity, Moses' sinfulness, they are on full display in this prayer. Why? (laughs) Is not the most common impulse to say, why, when things go south? But this is, this is more than just a, a why. This is a blatant accusation of God. Moses is blaming the Lord. Moses is attributing God with wrongdoing. Moses clearly expected immediate deliverance of the people of, of God by God, but instead, you Have not delivered your people at all. Loved ones, lest lest we ever make the mistake of thinking that the hero of the book of Exodus is Moses. Well, God bless Moses for dispelling that idea. Moses is a sinner. And Moses is in need of salvation. And Moses is in need of God's grace, just like you and me. Moses? Maybe it's cognitive degeneration. You're 80 years old, for heaven's sake. Do you even remember the burning bush? Everything God had revealed to Moses about his name, it should have made a difference. It should have had a fundamental effect in Moses on his perspective, on his expectations. It should have had a governing effect on his reaction to the subsequent circumstances. This, this is just so instructive for us. Moses knew the personal name of God. He had experienced the revelation of the active and dynamic presence of God. And God's revelation of his name and his presence and his promise. Oh, how they should have functioned in Moses' heart and soul to generate faith. A faith that gives rise to obedience, even obedient faith, even when things don't work out as planned or when planned. The name, the presence, the promise all crystallized should have been more than sufficient to sustain Moses' soul and to restrain Moses' emotional response in the midst of frustrated expectations and even intensified suffering. And in spite of all that, it now appears that Moses He's convinced that God is absent, not present. That God is passive, not active. That God is unreliable, not trustworthy. All because God has not conformed to Moses' expectations. Mark Christensen handled this text so well last week that, It's just unnecessary to linger there any longer. But that is the hinge. That's the hinge that opens the door now to God's word to us in Exodus chapter 6. And the question it raises is, how do we cope with trials and troubles and sufferings and dashed expectations? When we've prayed... God just seems slow. How do we cope with trials and troubles and sufferings and dashed expectations when God feels absent? You find a promise from God, you read the promise, you meditate on the promise, you pray the promise back to God, and then nothing! Nothing is different. And then, things just get worse. How do we cope? I want to draw your attention now to how God strengthened Moses' faith in such circumstances. And and first of all, just, just notice how God responds to Moses' charge that directly calls into question God's very character. I mean, you just want to get out of the way, right? Look out, Moses. What are you thinking talking this way? Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. How does God respond when Moses throws shade on God's character? It's instructive to us. He ignores it. (laughs) Instead of taking Moses out behind the woodshed, so to speak, God graciously reassures Moses of who he is and what he intends to do. It's as though God's love covers a multitude of sins. Imagine. Rather than give Moses a divine tongue lashing, he strengthens Moses' faith by reminding Moses of what Moses already knew about God. Loved ones, in times of trials and troubles, and sufferings and delayed deliverance. I just remember Mark covering all of those possibilities last. We slow sanctification. Here's what we need above all. And this is what God so graciously and lavishly provides us, provides for us to strengthen and sustain our faith. Listen, in in times of trials and troubles, we need to be freshly reminded of what we, at least most of us, already know about God. (laughs) Who he is, what he's done, what he promises to do. Despite Moses' resistance, Impatience, unbelief, frustration, anger, despite the Israelites' resistance and impatience and unbelief and frustration and anger, God so graciously and so kindly and so mercifully reminds them again. (laughs) Again. And of what does God remind them? Fundamentally, it's that the Lord himself goes ahead of them to provide for them all because of his love for them. Now, Moses, it's it's all going down now. And with this declaration of his action, God strengthens Moses' faith with with just this fresh review of what Moses had apparently forgotten. So maybe it is aging. Maybe it is cognitive decline. But, but don't we all experience chronic spiritual dementia? We need constant reminders of the character of God and the gracious acts of God and the mind-blowing promises of God on behalf of the undeserving People of God. And so the rest of the text divides mainly into two sections. Verses two through five are a review for Moses of all that God is and has promised to be. And then verses six through eight are a review for God's downcast people of all that God is and has promised to be. And it's all framed by God's repeated use of this phrase I am. The Lord. I am the Lord. That phrase is meant to convey the authority of God. It is intended to stir up, engender awe of God, for God, toward God, and trust in God. Verses two through five, there's just nothing new here. God is simply repeating the same material again, albeit graciously. I, I, I read this, I, I just can't help but be taken back in time not that long ago. It seems just like yesterday when I would say to certain, certain teenagers in our home, let's, let's cover this topic again, and how about this time you pay attention? And the first and most important thing God says is the most repeated thing he says. I am the Lord. Four times, verse two, verse six, verse seven and verse eight. And the Israelites, you know, the Israelites would would come to know real soon, like like now, (laughs) What I am the Lord means. It is this this revelation of God that Exodus is all about. And it's this revelation of God that is the greatest need in Moses' life. And it is this revelation of God, so summed up in that phrase, that is the greatest need in our lives. And that's because, listen, it is the knowledge of God that addresses all our questions and complaints and trials and troubles and sufferings. It's all summed up there. Get this, the the self-disclosure of God is our greatest need and and here is the the amazing good news. It is God's own self-disclosure that is God's own greatest passion. It's not like we're trying so hard to know him and he's just gone. No, he is passionately wanting to be known. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. And then God reviews secondly this the, the, the summary of redemptive history up until that point. Exodus chapter 6 verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. You know, It almost sounds as though God had never revealed his personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh to the patriarchs. That's that's just not right. Yahweh is used several times in the book of Genesis. So it's it's not that the patriarchs were like unfamiliar with God's personal name. It's, it's, It's that they did not fully comprehend the meaning and significance of that name. And that's because its essence for them, Yahweh for them, was only in the form of a promise. The fulfillment of that promise, the full disclosure of the meaning and significance of that personal name awaited what was about to take place in the Exodus. And so God's personal name, as understood by the patriarchs, it was, it was right now going to be fully disclosed in what God is going to do in the Exodus. Same God, Same name, just more comprehensive revelation of the name in and through the experience that was about to come. It's in the Exodus. It's in their deliverance from Pharaoh that the Israelites were about to. Now you're going to know what the Lord really means. The depth And the breadth of the meaning of that. Which the patriarchs could only know through anticipation. And then third, God reminds Moses of the covenant, of course. Chapter 6, verse 4. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. The land in which they lived as sojourners. So, why does... Why does God keep reminding Moses of the past when what Moses wants, perhaps needs most, is for God to act in the present? It's because the most effective way to strengthen Moses' faith in the present is to remind Moses of the promises that God had made in the past. God Strengthens Moses' faith by reminding him of the promises. The promises that he had made in the past, promise that he he has every intention of fulfilling. Moses, Moses, listen, I am the Lord. Moses, I, I made a promise in the past. I've not forgotten my promises. And so, Moses, you you don't need to despair because there's there's really nothing more certain. There's nothing more reliable. There's nothing more durable than my covenant promise. And, Moses, it's all because I am the Lord. Verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Now, this sounds so much like Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Where God, God, he, he hears, He sees, He knows, He remembers. Moses, listen, I, I am, I'm attentive to this. I'm attentive. I see it. I see their sufferings. And I'm affected by their cries. I have remembered. And to remember is to respond. And then, after rehearsing what is is so vital for the strengthening of Moses' faith, in verses 2 through 5, God now instructs Moses with what to say to the people. In verses 6 through 8. Notice again. Notice again how it's all framed with that, that, this very brief but very poignant punchline. I am the Lord. Verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel. I am the Lord. And... And in parenthesis here, this he now he's dropping into the significance of this name. It's his promise upon promise, grace upon grace. It's beautiful, it's powerful. So we are we are meant to feel God's love and God's compassion and God's affection for us in and through these seven. I wills. I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people And I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession because I am the Lord. Moses complained that God wasn't doing a thing at all to rescue his people and the Lord's response, tell them, I am the Lord. It's on my calendar. It's now. And here's what I'm going to do. A day is coming Down the road, when a young commander, maybe he's an old commander by then, named Joshua, he's going to tell the people of God to look back, look back, and just recognize that not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to Israel had failed to come to pass. And it's all because I am the Lord. So, what do we know? What do we know about God Almighty, El Shaddai, who revealed his personal name, Yahweh, to Moses back in chapter 3 and is about to reveal it for real, experientially, In the coming chapters, one scholar writes, who then is Yahweh, the Lord? Faithfulness, empathy, deliverance, intimacy, and inheritance are all embraced by this gracious inclusion I am the Lord. Could, could, there, could there be a greater contrast to, to their perception of their present circumstances of suffering and slavery? They, they perceive God as distant, far off, ambivalent. He's a clear, he's a no show. He must be on the DL. He's not playing today. And yet, here's the thing. This is the thing that that God makes so crystal clear. In a nutshell, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation, all of it, belongs to the Lord. Exodus is not merely the salvation history of Israel. Exodus points toward the story of our salvation. This is the family story. This is our history. This is about our future. Philip Ryken, Philip Riken says, as we listen to Exodus, we hear the first strains of a melody that becomes a symphony in the Gospels. Salvation is not about us doing something for God. It is about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. All that is required is to trust in Jesus, believing that he has turned the I wills of salvation into the I have done it's of, salve, of the gospel. Do so you want to, hear, want to hear a few strains <clears throat> from this fully formed symphony? Listen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He, it's Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the Exodus. Exodus. 1 Peter 2, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear that melody being filled out? And there is a promised land that's still before us. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. and the cares and the burdens, and the consequences of our countless sins, threaten to run us over. And circumstances only seem to get worse, <laughs> rather than better. Be reminded, loved ones. Be reminded of the. I have done it. From the one who says, I am the Lord. They are more than sufficient to sustain us in all our troubles. One last thing. <laughs> Having delivered that message, listen to what happens next in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Perhaps today you can relate to the Israelites and their struggle, their, their inability to entrust themselves to the promises of God because their souls are so crushed. We're vulnerable to those same things, aren't we? I'm not sure he will. (laughs) Or, I'm not sure he will this time. (laughs) Or, I don't think he will. At least not in my situation, or my struggle, or my heartache, or my suffering. Maybe maybe somebody else, yeah, just not me. In all these things, our greatest need, remember, our greatest need is a true and accurate knowledge of the greatness, the goodness, the generosity, the love of God. You know, so often, I'm just not all that interested in that. I'm not interested in going deeper with the Lord. I'm not interested in necessarily a closer walk. I did not want my problems to go away. Immediately, it would be really good too. According to Exodus and all of Scripture, the remedy for the despairing soul is revelation of God illumination by the Holy Spirit, growing, expanding, enlarging, going deeper into our relationship with all that he is for us in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to this end, may God reveal himself to us as he is and strengthen and encourage our faith in him through the power of his word and by the work of the spirit of his son. Let's pray. And so, Lord, today, by the grace that you so lavishly give, the grace that is so lavishly, poignantly communicated to us in in your self-disclosure, The grace that is so astonishingly just an exclamation point of all exclamation points in the person, the perfect life, the sin atoning death on the cross of your dear son to make all your promises yes and amen to each of us. By the grace By the grace that we need and you so lavishly give. We wait. We wait for you. It's on your word. It's on the promises that you have made that we rely. It's it's, It's with hope because you have sealed this covenant you've made with through the death of your son and his shed blood, it cost everything. Your love is put on display for us. We wait until our souls are satisfied and you are glorified. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.